Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. It's game day. It's match day. There's so much going on, Tracy. Um, match how day, are you? Dave? I'm good. I'm it's good. It's match I'm very day good. because I know, I know, I know. UCLA is taking on our formerly hated overlords, USA, USA, not UCLA, oh. USA. It's both. Actually, of. no. Cal used to be the overlord. Overlords. Too. I thought this that's literally what you were saying. This is a day of taking on the former overlords. The people against the overlords. The people against the overlords. I am never more passionately American than during the World Cup, baby. And I'm a bigger supporter of the women's team, actually. But, yeah, I'm... I'm Front runner? No, no, no. I've always been. <laughs> always, always, always been. Even before they were... Well, I guess they've always been good. So, I, I guess I am a front runner. But it's been a long time that I've been a fan. They just... They they just year in, year out, have, have played better soccer. <laughs> The men's yeah. team has not played good soccer, and it's been really tough to watch sometimes. You know it's going to be tough to watch? USA-England later Damn. today. Um, Damn, that Wales game. I, uh, you watch a lot of soccer. Uh-huh. I, over the course of my life, have watched a lot. That was one game I put top five of a game changing in dominance in possession. Like, no, like very few games. Excruciating. Um, I would say Greg... Berhalter is, um, he's right up there with the worst coaches I've ever observed doing a thing, (laughs) like doing a sport, doing a, doing, doing whatever. Um, no feel whatsoever. Uh, he, he actually. I like his t-shirt though. He, well, he looks like he, um, so there's a band from the, uh, early nineties or early two thousands called LFO. Mm -hmm. And he looks like the lead singer of it. I think it's LFO. What's LFO stand for? I don't know, but he looks like the lead singer from the 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 music video of the like one hit wonder. Anyway, that being said, he's horrible. Um, he picked the right starting eleven, but then he decided we're not going to sub um, for like a long period of time in the second half. Also decided to sit on the ball. Very stupid, awful. Anyway, this is a UCLA podcast. Yes, um, but people are concerned and interested. Oh boy, he's bad. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but the other overlord. The other overlord is one, Cal. One time. Yeah. Uh, we're, we'll talk about that at the end of this show. Um, yeah. Because it'll be a little bit dated because we're recording this on Friday um, for many of you. Uh, we want to talk about basketball first. 
um, because basketball had a very interesting weekend last weekend that we haven't talked about yet. Interesting is a good word. And then had the Pepperdine game on Wednesday. So there's a lot to discuss here. I um, I guess I want to give my general thing. Like, my general sense right now is none of this should have been unexpected. Like, this is all kind of... It's all the figuring out... Like, we've, we've used this phrase a lot, but it's all the figuring out roles. Figuring out who's doing what. And a lot of guys trying on new clothes and seeing how they fit not just the freshmen but the returning players you know Jalen Clark's in a bigger role Tiger Campbell's in a scoring role Jaime Hawkins has to increase his volume all these different things on top of these freshmen all coming in so losing what amounted to I just want to put this in perspective I want to take a step back because what they lost amounted to two games against what I would say are conservatively top 15 top 20 teams in Illinois and Baylor. I think they're both pretty darn good. I would say after watching college, if I had just watched them in a vacuum, I would have said uh, top 20-ish. But then after watching a lot of college basketball, I'd say top four. Top, well, <laughs> top 10 to top 12. Yeah, no, exactly. I And watching it live, you could even see that. And especially from a coaching perspective, especially Illinois. Um Illinois looks extremely well coached, and that's no surprise. Brad Underwood's one of the best coaches in the game. Um, and then Baylor does the thing they do really well. Um, and so, you know. Baylor was a little bit more skilled than I, yes. than I thought. They shot the ball better, just better skills. I had watched them before. They ran out. I can't remember who they ran off the court. But it just looked like they were running someone off with their athleticism. Right. Yeah. So, I guess my point is, Tracy. Yes, Dave. It's not, this isn't panic button time at all. Um, it's more, okay. There, I would still say UCLA is a little bit ahead of where I thought they would be, um, given everything. Um, you know, we've seen more flashes from Amari Bailey at this point, and, you know, including the Pepperdine game against, you know, a lot of guys who don't belong on the court with UCLA. But um, showing more flashes than Peyton Watson did at this point last year. And, you know, when you factor in that you still have to expect that Jaime Hawkins is going to play more consistently and better, that Tiger Campbell is going to play more consistently and better, I don't know. I, I don't see as much cause for concern at this point as I think a, a lot of uh, a lot of observers are. Well, as we've been saying, um, higher ceiling with this team. Um, th- there's so much that it, they're just not doing really well. And like in my review of the game, they won by 47 points. Um, and they were competitive in both of those games. Uh, I mean, they were leading Illinois when they were actually playing before they ran out of gas. I think they uh, were leading both games in the second half. Yeah. So those are all good signs. They, they, they weren't dominated by those two teams. Um, the thing for me, and I've gone back and watched, I rewatched Baylor again, which, That's God, nice. yeah. Uh, this was a week of rewatching. I actually attempted to rewatch UCLA USC football game too, but um, so, and then rewatching uh, Pepperdine. The thing that's the most disappointing to me is that Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkes. Yeah, okay. Ty, let's just talk offense for a second. Um, Tiger Campbell's offense. I mean, let's just say it. He's in a slump, right? 
I don't. So I don't know if I would characterize it as a slump. I, I call it a slump. No, 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 he's playing poorly, but I don't know. If but it's I a know slump. we'll get into the details yeah, yeah. because I know you want to go deep on that. Um, but both of them are, are feeling out their offense. I get it, but their defense. If you really watch them on defensive possessions, spotty at best. There were times when they are just not doing what they should be doing defensively in Mick Cronin's defensive scheme. They're just not. You Maybe we're giving the other guys a little bit of a pass. I think as we should, but maybe too big of a pass because they're young and learning. Hawkes and Campbell, and you know we are, we are massive fans of these two guys, but that doesn't mean they are immune from some criticism. Uh, they, they have been really slack in key, key moments defensively. Um, not only on ball screens, but on but on help and rotation, uh, just just not great. Um, the kind of stuff where over the last couple of years I'd be kind of yelling at the TV, but the name that would be attached would be Johnny Juzang. Mm-hmm. They were kind of doing some Johnny Juzang defense at times, um, and then in Pepperdine, uh, it'd be very interesting to know what. Cronin said to them at halftime um, because there weren't as many lapses almost defensively none I didn't I didn't notice any and yeah. thus and thus the second half run that created the blowout that's that's the biggest um, decisive thing that's been happening to me but for in why they've been inconsistent at times yeah. and haven't played up to their potential now let's talk about their offense. Well, and no, I, I think I, I, there's I some validity. On, okay, go ahead. touch you, on one thing there. Because, yes, yes. Um, so Jaime, I think it's um, kind of – his, I think it's very kind of juicing. For Tiger, and this kind of flows into the offensive thing, what I've noticed with him, and this is from the literally the first game of the season, he is calling out switches extremely late. Like he's like deciding, no, 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 I'm not getting out there. So here, no, you got to go do it. And the other player will be like, what? And then it's a late closeout because he's calling out the switch extremely late. And I think part of it is he's he's always been extremely conscious of his own load management. Like, if I'm doing this, I, I, I need to save energy. You know, if I'm doing X, I need to save energy Y. And that's always been him. He'll have possessions where he just he's taking the possession off defensively. And that's been throughout his career. Um, but he generally picks his spots well now it seems like he is because he's been geared up to play this offensive role which we're going to get into just now <laughs> it's like he's like okay no i'm i'm gonna take off 50 percent of possessions on defense or at least i'm not going to run through screens this many times um i think he's a very smart player and i think he's literally just being like well i'm not gonna do that thing because i need to save my legs so i can shoot on the other end um which should not be the way any Cronin player is thinking, but that's the, that's what I get observing him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, do you remember Darren Collison's senior year? Yes. So Darren Collison was one of the best defensive guards that we had ever, and he's still, I mean, his career at UCLA, the, the overall, he still was one of the best defensive guards, but in that senior year, do you remember thinking, wow, what's happened to his defense a little? Yeah. It's senioritis. I think a bit, they've been, Putting, they've been playing so hard defensively for three years 
there's some psychology I think where well, I'm a senior, I'm I'm taking off a little. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think there's a little bit of that going on with both those guys. Um, and then, so the other piece, which is the offense for both of them, but especially Tiger. Uh, this is, I mean, confirmation bias. So anybody can tell me I'm just, you know, blowing smoke. I'm going to confirm ass. it too, because you said it at the beginning and I, and I was skeptical, but I think it's, it's proven out. Yeah. It, it was a mistake to tell him to go Steph Curry mode. Um, they, that's not his game. Um, I think he's having trouble shouldering that load. I think it has hurt him in other aspects of his offensive game, not to mention my, what I theorize about his defense, um, and I think whatever that um, idea was probably needs to be shelved at this point because he's he's struggling um, and he's not making an impact in the positive ways that he used to. He's turning the ball over more. He's not delivering passes at the same rate. Um, there's a lot of possessions where in the same way that like a Johnny Juzang or Jaime does he's not looking to pass at all he's just looking for his own shot and he's been told to do that it's not selfishness but it's hurting ball flow and there's no what I look at with this team is everyone keeps saying well there's no other offensive option it's just Campbell and Hawkes and it's this axiomatic idea where well you don't know that the only reason you think that is because these two guys are taking all of the shots but Amari I mean Amari Bailey he's he you know, took 12 shots in the last game, scored 19 points. He's not going to do that every game. But the only way to find out whether he can be your third option is to let him try. The only way you can find out if Jalen Clark can be your third option is to let him try. And if you're using up possessions where it's Campbell not passing the ball, Hawkeyes not passing the ball, and just trying to shoot, um, those guys don't develop. They're standing in the corner um, when, you know, these guys are isoing up top. And I think this team, because you don't have a... you know, a third and fourth isolation score like, you know, they had last year with Jules Bernard and, and, and Johnny Juzang. Perfect time to not ditch entirely that part of the offense, but relegate it to what it needs to be, you know? Have Jaime be your closer. Have him be the guy at the end of the half, at the end of the game, who's, you know, taking a couple of possessions and just using them to, you know, score in whatever way possible. But otherwise, I mean, they need to move the ball. And I think the best thing they could tell Tiger is, Okay, go back to just being a passer. Be a passer, hit open threes. But that's your role, and get the ball moving. Because you've got the one asset this team has offensively, something that Jalen Clark cited preseason. They're all willing passers. There isn't selfishness in this lineup, and it feels like the selfishness is being dictated from the sideline, which I, and I understand what Cronin is thinking, but Tiger Campbell isn't a selfish player. Having him wear that hat is making him play outside of his, you know, basketball worldview. And I don't think it's successful. There's so much that you just said there that was touching on so many things that we could probably talk about for a long time. When we're always talking about, you know, second, third option, it's so frustrating for me. You know you know what the real option of basketball should be, uh, offensive basketball? It should be move the ball, move Open the guy. ball, uh, move the ball, and then a layup. That, that should be your offensive option. Uh, the first option should be pass the ball. Pass the ball well, have some off-the-ball off movement, and you will find an easy shot no matter who is that option taking the shot. It's, it's devolved into this 
one-on-one ISO. Here's your first guy, second guy, and, and yeah, now we need a third guy because of matchups. If the third guy has an easy matchup, well, he's the ISO uh, one-on-one guy. It's just, it's so frustrating for me. And why it's so frustrating with this team is this is a great passing team. With Tiger Campbell's a good passer. We're seeing Amari Bailey is, a, is I mean, at this point, he's good. He could be, once he gets really comfortable, he could really show off his passing ability and be an extraordinary passer. So was it Norfolk State where they had 20 assists and they moved the ball and they got easy yep. shots? That's the offense. And you're so right. When you need a basket, crunch time, yeah, Jaime, go do your one-on-one things. And throughout throughout the game, he needs to do that because he's going he's gonna to get easy matchups. Understood. But dang, Jalen Clark, how does Jalen Clark uh, score? He scores from ball movement. He gets the ball in a good position. Putbacks. I mean, he is your typical. He's your typical guy who scores offensively based on an offensive scheme, rather than being. Uh, does he really ever just ISO on someone? Very, very rarely. Uh, this is what this team should be, and they really showed what they could be against Norfolk State. And I, that's the thing. I'd really like to see more of that. And, it's, there, were, and there were so many instances against Pepperdine. There, were, there was a lot of ISO, but there was many, many instances. And all I kept looking at is, yeah, Amari Bailey's the key. Yeah. Uh, there was the one where they got that triangle going on the right wing with Jaime in the post. Bailey was feeding him, and then they used as the third part of the triangle was Jalen Clark, and they're rotating the ball really fast. So the defense is all is shifted over. Tiger Campbell is sitting on that wing alone. And I love the pass by Amari Bailey. He knew it was coming, but he didn't have his weight under him. And he's like, oh, crap, there he is. And just with his noodle arms at that point with no body behind it, gets it to Tiger for an open three. But that's that's what the offense should be. Um and and it and it uh, it's such a uh, I and we could talk forever why this has happened to college basketball and all it really comes down to if you wanted one to shorthand the reason it's because college coaches always want to do a shortcut <laughs> I'm using the word short a lot um in recruiting to be able to recruit kids and say, you'll be able to really show off your skills. I let my players on offense create on their own in recruiting. They want to be able to use that selling point and show them tape that that this is what we do Um, because they have to before it used to be a few teams did that, but you play like back in Howland's era, even not too long ago, he used to recruit to a team concept and then, and then he changed his philosophy and what happened. Um, but now it's so predominant. So, I, I mean, Pepperdine, Pepperdine was not good. I'm just going to say it. Pepperdine was not good. They weren't. Everyone is, uh, even McCronin said, that's a good team. They are not a good team. They were, they got some skilled guys. They could put the ball in the basket, but that, if you watch that team so uh, on every trip down the court, it was so infrequent that they'd actually just touch a Bruin, like they put a body on someone. Almost never happened. They were a jump-shooting team. And that's the way, because Lorenzo uh, Romar has realized that Pepperdine, 
I just need to tell everyone you're going to be able to ISO shoot. I'm going to get my 6'9", 220 pounder and he's going to shoot threes because that's the way he needs to play to recruit a Pepperdine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I would like, I, I think of Cronin as like an old school guy who still retains some of the values of real basketball. And I understand the ISO game that has been happening with UCLA, the UCLA's offense for the last couple of years. But man, they flashed it at Norfolk State. They flashed it a little against Pepperdine. And that's the offense I think that's going to carry them through this season and successfully through March. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, we're talking a lot about the offense when it's like, again, uh, the defense is probably the. the it's the issue. defense. It's the but defense. But the thing yeah. I would say about the defense is I, I, I have I have significant confidence that it's going to improve over the course of the season. Um, I think a lot of it, as we just talked about, is Jaime and Tiger. Um, I know we had uh, Oscar, I think it was, who did the breakdown with. Yeah, it was good of, stuff. You guys yeah, appreciate that? That's good. It was really good stuff. Yay, um, Coach Oscar. And it w- broke down a lot of what Jalen Clark also is doing wrong um, defensively, um, which is kind of observable to the eye. He's cheating a lot to try to get steals, which you know probably needs to stop until he can actually lock down his guy. Um, and he was better against Pepperdine. Um, it was not quite as much of that. Um, but all of that, I would think, gets better. The, the, the big... The big key is Tiger and Jaime, and then the other one I would say is post defense. Um, they need to get more out of Bona. Um, I think this is the other thing. So preseason again, calling out a couple of things. It was Tiger as the Steph Curry idea, which is like well, that's not going to happen. And then I hate to do this because it's just you know he's he's a great guy and the whole thing, but Nawuba. The idea of him playing 15 minutes, like that, whatever needs to happen to have that not be the case by mid-January, early February, is that needs to be a priority. And it's not any knock on him. It's just that he's not capable of playing at a super high level, the level necessary at 15 minutes a game for this team to reach its potential. It needs to be... Mac Etienne getting fully back and in shape or whatever it is. Uh, Bona being able to play 25, 30 minutes of no foul trouble basketball. But whatever it is, that needs to happen. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there. 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Y- yes, so talking... So many things there, too. We're talking defense. And it's funny because um, Jalen Clark is getting hailed as potential you know, defensive player of the year nationally, right? And you know we are Jalen Clark fans. But if you really watch him, he is he's, he's out of position a lot of times on help defense. And it's, it's creating issues. <laughs> um, Jaime Jaquez... You know, when I hear announcers say, and again, we're Jaime Jaquez fans, obviously, um, what a great defender he is. I don't think he's ever been a great defender. Good at times, not great. Um, But he needs, because he he doesn't have great foot speed, he needs to be able to be focused on defense. And when he is, he can play some pretty good defense depending on the matchup. He hasn't. He's also been lazy and out of position uh, on not only ball screens, but on help and rotation. And it's funny when they get hailed as two great defensive players, and defense is not just about on-ball stuff. It's it's about so many other things, and that's the full picture. And right now, it's the veterans that you've got to expect that some of the guys, the new guys, aren't going to be able to uh, – do everything technically sound. Right. But you expect those three guys to do it. And what was really funny, in garbage time, eight minutes to the end of the game against Pepperdine when they threw in, you know, Abramo, Sanka, and even the walk-ons, if you watch watch that, they rotated better. They, yeah. they Oh, my God. Sanka completely did his job defensively. Um I'm not saying they need to play Abramo Sanko any over any of those three guys, but I'm just trying to draw awareness to there's more to defense than Jalen Clark just looking for deflections. He's got to play better in his help and his rotations. Yeah, yeah, and uh, don't help off of shooters, Jalen. That's that's it. the biggest. That's one of the biggest things. Yeah, uh, I mean, and Oscar really really illustrated that so often how random they were in Las Vegas on that. Um, well, let's let's take a second. Let's just talk about UCLA's best player, David Singleton. <laughs> At this point, he is. He's the MVP of the team so far. And we thought it was Jalen Clark, but once we start breaking down watching more film, David Singleton is playing defense. He's playing the best defense of his career. He is shooting 53% from three, 53, 53.3%. And that's down. because That's down. Yeah. Um, he should be shooting more. 
Um, they should be calling plays for him. They should be calling all plays for him. Every single play should be, you know, it's that, you know, whenever, whenever David Singleton is on the court, you should be saying, where's David Singleton? Let me throw him the ball because <laughs> he's going to shoot it and he's going to make it. Um, his free throw rate right now is the highest of his career. He's getting to the line. Um, he is turning the ball over less than he ever has, which is incredible because um, that's he's never turned the ball over ever in his career. Um, he's defensive rebounding at a rate. You ready for this one? Are mm. you ready for this? I'm so prepared. His defensive rebounding rate is higher than Jaime Hawkes's, higher than Mac Etienne's, higher than a Dembona's. And and those are stats. If you watch him on the court, he is not a quick guy. He is he is the I think more than anyone on the team is optimizing his ability to play defense more than anyone else on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not on just not just on ball, but in his help rotation in all of that. Watch watch him play defense. He's. And it's not coincidental because you think uh, that little, um, you know, Energizer Bunny that, you know, the microwave, like we said, when he comes in, you think it's an offensive boost. A lot of times it's a defensive boost that he's giving the team too. Yeah. Yeah. And they Uh, need him to come off the bench. I'm not advocating that he should start. No, no, no. So they need – here's the thing. He is playing – he's playing more minutes – than all but three guys on the team. Um, so he's effectively a sixth starter as it is because he's playing so much. Um, but it's perfect to have him come in off the bench because also you need to develop Bailey. Um, and that would be the guy more than likely that Singleton would be starting over. I guess you could make an argument for Clark too, but... I know. guess you can't. Yeah, you can't. Um, so it would probably be Bailey that he'd be starting over and you need Bailey to develop. Um, and I think Bailey... There's obvious upside if he continues to get comfortable. Um, and so you've got to continue to play him, start him, keep his confidence up. Because um, Singleton clearly doesn't need to start. I mean, he's coming in off the bench. He's playing like 28 minutes a game. And he's shooting the lights out. Um, it's perfect. Exactly what you want in a sixth man. So let's talk about Amari Bailey. Amari Bailey. <sighs> there are so many times in doing this job when like you're immersed in, in like I'm a, I, I'm not as much now, but I used to be very immersed in West coast basketball recruiting. I mean, I was, you know, calling and talking to AU coaches, to event organizers all the time. Um, I mean, I used to run West coast recruiting for rivals, the insider scout. Um, so I mean, I was immersed in it. So there were things that I knew that I tried to impart to the fans. And sometimes they just don't get it when they start talking about certain things like um, whether uh, a Dembona is going to go pro. You know, I give credit to some of the announcers. I think it was Fran Fraschilla. And I'm not giving Fran Fraschilla a lot of credit. Because he he was pretty bad at times, but he did say, "Adam Bone is going pro. He's pro. I mean, that's just happening next year." So he kind of gets the AU thing. 
Amari Bailey, as of right now, when people start talking, have him return next year and play point. Yeah, that would be great. And he probably should and just eyeballing it. But, I mean, I don't know how to say it, that it's already arranged that he's going pro. Um, it, something dramatic would have to happen among his his team of, of everyone who consults with him, everyone. Uh, I mean, it's a business for a five-star guy coming out of high school. He's got – Entourage doesn't even do it well because that just sounds like guys who are handling his – bags as he's getting off the plane and going to his going to his hotel i mean he's got the best i could say it is like uh, agent adjacent guys um who were consulting it's a business right now he's i mean his nil is probably over a million dollars a year right now um it, it's already in the works. I wouldn't even say in the works because it doesn't sound decided. But it, it would have to be a dramatic change for him not to go pro. It was like last year with Peyton Watson where everyone kept trying to campaign and say he should come back. He should come back. And I kept saying he's not. It's not going to happen. Yeah, it would be great. He should. I mean, where is he now? He's in the G League, right? Mm-hmm. As of now, that's the situation with Amar- Amari Bailey. So just get used to that. Um, and I... It's hard to explain the full details of why. And when people look at him and they can't come to that conclusion and think he should come back. But just just discount that in. Given that, he has a lot of potential this season. Um, there are a lot of UCLA fans that say, I don't see him as a pro. He's 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, He's probably a point guard in the NBA. Um, you know, he had a bad Las Vegas weekend playing against the first time playing against that level of team. Uh, He's done fairly well against mid-majors. He had his, obviously, and like I wrote, I don't know if I want to call it coming out, but he had a great game um, and something to really build on against Pepperdine. That's, That's the prospect I saw in high school, and that's not even like the full picture of the prospect. There was one time when he was driving the basket and the and uh, ref blew a whistle and then he, he went in and threw down a dunk after the whistle and how fast he got that basket and threw that dunk down. That's kind of the small picture of the Amari Bailey that we saw in high school. Uh, along with combined with those that three-point shooting touch and ability to take people off the uh, off the dribble that was and passing ability that was Amari Bailey that we've seen whether we see that fully this year is a question um because it's going to be tough to fully realize just how good he could be in his freshman year in college um but man that was a good sign against Pepperdine uh the test will be uh after Bellarmine uh in the Pac-12's effort to play 20 games Conference games. UCLA faces uh, Stanford and Oregon. How he plays against those two teams. Because they, I mean, those are high major teams, right, Dave? Yes, they're high major teams. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Oregon, I I guess you could make an... uh, I'm going to get ats at this. I guess you could make a case against Stanford. Maybe. I mean, they're uh, Is Ivy League... Will Ivy League be... (laughs) Will Ivy League be kind to them when they finally go? Who knows? Um, um, so, yeah, it's going to be a process for him. 
But I, I think Mick Cronin <clears throat> is a good guy, is a good person to get him to where he wants to go. And because, I mean, Cronin's selfish. <laughs> Cronin wants him to be the player that a lot of people who know him well and have watched him, that where he could get to be in March. Now, you can make an argument endlessly again that I, I, you know, I don't see him as a first-round NBA player. I get it. You know, and I, I agree with you, but that's that's not why that's not why he's going to the NBA. You you've got to get there are decisions being made rather just on if he's ready for the NBA. There are other factors that are making that decision. So um that's my spiel, my soliloquy on it's beautiful. I'm already paying. Thank you. Yeah, I laughed, I cried. Yeah. Um I wanna yeah. hear what you think. Dave. About Amari? Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, everything you said, dead on. Um, I think, obviously, in a vacuum, you would look at him and say, oh, yeah, there's a lot of promise, um, but, you know, probably shouldn't be going anywhere after this year, but that's not the way any of this works. Um, I would say a lot of it for him, uh, and I think Cronin's talked about this, it's the confidence, it's the... Um, you know, uh, he looks like he's playing under a lot of pressure sometimes, um, which was the same thing with Peyton Watson. Um, you know, and, and as much as, you know, Joe fan out there and, you know, all of us might think the UCLA program, um, you know, obviously has lost some luster since the John Wooden era. It's still a pretty big spotlight for, you know, freshmen coming in. Like it's still like that's you know, it's still something to be in Poly Pavilion and playing in these big games with the UCLA on your chest, like that's a, you know, it is a little bit different pressure um, than you might even expect coming out of high school. So yeah, it's natural. It makes sense. Um, I, I, I like him as a player. Um, I think he shows a really good passing sense. Um, you know, shooting wise, this was obviously a better game against Pepperdine, but it's Pepperdine. Who knows? Um, we'll see how he does more against, you know, the high major athletes and all that kind of stuff. But, there's enough promise there that I think it's the same thing as, you know, not even the same thing, because I think he's playing better defense and doing the other stuff better. But when Mick Cronin was playing Johnny Juzang a ton of minutes in December of that first year with Juzang, you know, even not, we were like, what are, why are they doing this? Um, and he's shown good patience with guys when he recognizes their potential. Um, he's shown the ability to say, okay, we're going to wait this out and see how they do. And I think it, you know, there's a good chance it gets rewarded with Bailey, too. I think he's going to be playing a lot better basketball on a consistent basis in February than he is right now um, because he's getting all these minutes. So it's that if everyone is being realistic preseason, this is all all of this is kind of going according to how you might have thought. The only thing that I would say I was expecting a little bit better and, you know, Bona was better in this last game, but Adem Bona hasn't played well. Um, for the most part, through the first six games. Um, he hasn't rebounded well. Um, he hasn't really played any good defense, um, and he's struggled to finish on the offensive end. Um, I think he's swimming a lot. And so that's the one where I was expecting a little bit more from him to start the year. Not a lot more, but a little bit more. You know, you expect a freshman to struggle with fouls and all that kind of stuff, but I was expecting a little bit more. And that's the one that I think 
they need to get that one figured out. I think Bailey they can be patient with. I think because there's still enough perimeter, you know, play with everyone else. Bone is the one where I'm like that one needs to get figured out and pretty quick. And I think uh, that's a really good point. It's also because uh, their two roles that they are supplying UCLA as true freshmen are completely different. A Dem Bonas is being asked post-defense, team defense, um, block some shots. And rebound. Rebound. I mean, are they asking him for offense? They they really aren't. I mean, no, you know, dunk, Mick dunk Cronin the, is dunk saying. the ball when you get it. Yeah, when you get the ball around the basket, finish it. But it's it's defense and rebounding. And you've seen a Dem Bona. Going into the season, we were all thinking, okay, this guy's going to be very capable of doing that. Um, and and he hasn't, and he hasn't, he doesn't, while he is swimming, obviously, he doesn't, there isn't much water <laughs> as compared to um, Amari Bailey, of yeah. what Amari Bailey has to remember and know offensively and defensively. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a really, really valid, valid point. Talking more about Amari Bailey, just to finish it off, we all saw um, he gets. We compared him too to Keontae George, um, the other top 10, 2022 20, guard uh, who uh, we saw against Baylor. He had a really bad game against UCLA. They, they UCLA's defense shut him down. Playing against a, a better team like that, he he you know he didn't do he didn't play very well. But the other games he's played well so far this season. Now. He's supposed to be a one and done too, and it's going to happen. But if you look at those two guys right now, if you watch Keontae George, you'd say, oh, he's a much better player. I mean, he's more assertive. He's shooting the ball than Amari Bailey. But they're about the same height. Amari um, Bailey, this is what the NBA sees. Amari Bailey is going to be a point guard, a lead guard in the NBA. He has those kind of natural feel, instincts, vision. Keontae George doesn't. He's not a point guard. He's going to be a 6'4 wing. And while he's exceptional, the upside for Amari Bailey is considerably more. Um, that's what the – a lot of times the NBA sees that and they are willing to take a risk on a kid that's not producing at this time as a true freshman in college because they see the upside. Um which brings me to one thing I wanted to talk about. The whole one and done dilemma. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. Um, is it worth it? Is, no. It, it, oh, thank you. I just answered your question. I know, but there's, I'm, I'm, I'm hashing it because it's such a thing for fans. And it's such a, no, it's, it's a thing. And for college coaches, coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the shiny object, and uh, in in let's go over the five star guys that have been at UCLA recently. Have they panned out? All right, let me pull it up. So you got Peyton Watson last year. No, um, you've got well before that. How about the how about our friend who committed it and then decided to go play in the G League? Yeah, Dacian Nix. Um, all right, so Peyton Watson. You got to count Dacian Nix. Yeah, so Dacian Nix, obviously not. 
Because it's all about expenditure. It's about time expenditure. Exactly. All right, so 2020, there was nobody. 2019, there was nobody. 2018, <laughs> there was... Come on. Come on, website. You can do it. <laughs> we knew we were going to talk about this. Should one of us have called this up beforehand? Maybe. Maybe. But yeah. shouldn't our w- stupid website work sometimes, Tracy? That's true, too. I blame... Um, I blame technology. All right. So 2018, you've got Moses Brown. No. No. And all we're talking about is whether they were worth the headache and all the time expenditure for their contribution at UCLA. And and this is just the guys UCLA got. We could, we could I, go over the five-star guys. They spent a lot of time recruiting that opted to commit elsewhere. Chris Wilkes and Jalen Hands, you decide. <laughs> oh, but not worth it to me. Yeah, not, at, worth it. not at all. Yeah, and then 2016, that would have been Lonzo Ball, the sure. one, the one who was worth it. That's yeah. what we should name him. That's his name, the one who was. And you know what? It almost wasn't because so many people don't know behind the scenes what was happening with the Ball family. And TJ Leaf, I think, was a composite five star. So yes, sure, those two are worth it. Yeah. And then before that, um, it was nobody. 2014 was, I want to say that was the Welsh year. Let me see. No, that was Kevon Looney. But now we're getting back into prehistory. Uh, and again, we have to throw in all the five stars UCLA program spent recruiting. How about Isaac Hamilton, Tracy? Get your, I want. Hey, four-year player, baby. Exactly. <laughs> so we found the one five-star who was a, a four-year player, and it and it still wasn't worth it. Yeah. There's asterisks against all those guys playing for Steve Alford. <laughs> yeah, they don't even count. Um, yeah, yeah, so, but, like, the thing with the five-stars is you have to – so unless they're, like, true – immediate impact five stars which i think are uh, you would I, I would call it few and far between uh based on my experience observing it where instant impact at the way you need um and unless they're like obvious multi-year players like thomas welsh was a scout five star when he was recruited but he was obviously not going pro after a year um if you can find that sort of five star but that that's all all we're talking about there is a, is a hidden four star um, multi-year players, that's the way you win in college basketball. It is not one and dones. And like, I don't know if no one has updated their priors since Kentucky won the title in like 2012 or whatever it was. They haven't won any titles since then. The model doesn't work. Um, it doesn't make sense for the programs to be doing that. Now, if you're a basketball factory, like if you want to be like UNLV or whatever, where you just get the five stars and you're just the development program for the five stars. I guess that's what Kentucky is now where all your thing is propagating NBA, uh, then do whatever the hell you want. But if the goal is to win, like win college basketball games, then you need college basketball players, not NBA players. You need guys who are flawed in some fundamental way. Like Jaime Tiger Campbell. These guys are college basketball players. They're, they're the players who win in college basketball. And you're just talking about the on-court advantages and disadvantages. 
Yeah. I mean, no, but that's if the you thing. only it's, had, uh, it's, I can't go into. the backstory shit because that yeah. stuff's all bad. All, all bad. almost all bad. Even for good kids. Peyton Watson is a good kid. He comes from a good family. A- and what UCLA got out of Peyton Watson off the court, not out of him specifically, there was a lot of, there was some pressure from the Peyton Watson camp. I wouldn't even say it's, necessarily paint it wasn't paint watson or a, maybe a little bit of his family but a lot of other people around it for him to play more minutes at ucla when we all watched and said he does not deserve more minutes if you're talking about this team playing this year trying to win this year he did not deserve more minutes i i, I mean you could anyone can make the argument he deserved more <laughs> but i'm uh, most of the people who were watching last season said he did not deserve to play more um, now, yeah, if you played him early on, would it have paid off in March? Maybe he's in the, he's in the G league. He's got probably three, two, three more years before he becomes a really consistently, uh, productive basketball player. And, and don't quote me stats from the G league because that is like a U ball. It's ridiculous. He's, he's scoring like 19 points a game or something. Yeah. Um, so off the court. The reverberations of Peyton Watson. Um, it's funny how all this works. As I said, that was the number one thing that's been hurting UCLA recruiting in 2023 was the fallout from Peyton Watson because every team recruiting against UCLA said, uh, with the five-star guys, they don't even play their five-star freshmen. Their one-and-done guys have to come off the bench. That's, and it wasn't only just other programs saying this. There are so many guys who are involved, so many people involved in recruiting. They're trainers, they're advisors, they're just middlemen that you don't even know sometimes what their roles are. And they're in their ear. They all have their own agendas. I mean, I'm not going to say specifically in UCLA situations, but most of the time in college basketball, just, just use your imagination, knowing what we've been trying to tell you and what you have to infer is happening behind the scenes. You know, some of these guys have agendas because they're paid off. <laughs> right. So they're working for a, another objective. And they are they killed UCLA in, uh, in this recruiting cycle with Peyton Watson. And uh, it has a shelf life of one year because Amari Bailey is going to play 27 minutes a game. And Amari, and uh, Dambona will stay on the court as long as he can, uh, which will probably be 23, hopefully, by March. Um, there are so many things that just hurt them off the court in recruiting a five-star. And that's the guy they got compared to the guys they haven't gotten. I've said that three times and I can't even emphasize it enough. Dacian Nix really rocked this program. The fact that he opted not to come to UCLA. But like this, this part of the calculation needs to start being factored in for Mick Cronin. Like that's the thing is that, okay, it's been three, three full cycles. Now Um, you got to start looking at it and say, okay, we now need to do a different thing. We need to change our model a little bit because it's not worth it. And pursuing Ron Holland and Isaiah Collier was not worth it. And I'm just going to say, yes, what we are saying 
is right. But it's un, it, it's almost like when I'm trying to say, fans, you guys aren't getting it. If what we're saying now, it's we're not getting it compared to real world of what's happening in recruiting. If there is a coach out there who's in an elite high major blue blood program who would opt to dump five-star recruiting, it would be Mick Cronin. Yeah. But no, Mick Cronin is. still will go after them because... No, no, no. I'm going to throw down the gauntlet right here because this is actually an important thing and it does need to change. And there is a model for this. It's Villanova. Jay Wright more or less went, no, we're not doing the five-star thing. And Mick Cronin can do that. And he should. And that I think it's an important part of building this program is going to be because I, uh, this cycle, I would say they've gotten lucky um, by the fact that a lot of guys were still available um, after missing on a bunch of these five stars. And, and uh, there's so there's so much there's so many factors here. Um, I think they they have learned some lessons uh, about five star recruiting at UCLA. And I think they are going to vet them deeply now. There are going to be five-star guys that show interest, and I think they might I think they might abandon the recruitment earlier now. Let's let's say that. There's a lot of nuance going on here. Well, I I think they're gonna have to realize a five-star guy locally, you have a good shot with. Um, it first off measure whether it's worth recruiting on whether you're going to get the guy. And we already went into if it's worth even getting him, but there's that, whether you're going to get him. And two, what kind of situation, this is the most critical, what kind of situation is he going to come into? Peyton Watson came into a loaded team. You can't just take, this is, they, this is what should be really high on the list. Will he be able to come in like Amari Bailey and get a lot of minutes? Or will he be Peyton Watson and only be able to play 12 minutes if he's not going to be very good in his first year? And most five-star guys now are not good. They are not Carmelo Anthony anymore. They aren't Lonzo Balls. They, they almost barely, they pretty much don't exist anymore. Um, those are two huge considerations. And then all the vetting of... Will the guy be problematic? Um, are his handlers, are his, everyone around him just too much of a headache? Right now, I, I can safely say Amari Bailey is a 100% unicorn from what I've heard about everything off the court and the kid's integrity, his work ethic, his, I mean, the kid. Can get like a million dollars in nil money, and he's getting yelled at by Macron. <laughs> I mean, he has shown so far an immense amount of character, and I mean, he moved out here from Chicago, and but he's been in L.A. You'd have to think he's an L.A. kid, but maybe growing up in Chicago gave him that that toughness uh, but he's a, he's a unicorn to find a five star like that so you you have to do your your deep 
diligence on it. Like there were guys that they were recruiting this last Isaiah Miranda. The things I heard about him and his recruitment was red flag from the beginning. And I'll just say it. I think UCLA was involved too much in Isaiah Miranda too long. They got the hint. Well, not the hint. They they learned, yeah, no, we're out of this. Even before, I, and Isaiah Miranda was still showing them uh, interest. But they got out because they realized, no, 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 red flag, you know, warning here. But too deep, too deep into it. Um, there are just five-star recruitments they should not attempt. And most of them, here's the easy way to just throw them out. If they're, if they're, from a different if they're from the east coast just almost bail out because off the court there was so much going on money influence to keep those five-star guys around their influencers around the people who were creating this whole business for them and that's that's there that's on the east coast somewhere or in a you know at a program where those guys have connections and or i'm implying they're getting paid off so this is, it's a hard thing to navigate through because you go out to AU ball so don't. and you watch Isaiah Collier and I'll, I'll say it. I was at that game when Mick Cronin first saw Isaiah Collier. He was phenomenal. So Isaiah Collier, this is, Isaiah Collier is a great example. Just eye candy. Right, basketball eye candy. First off, secondly, they get an indication that uh, families from Los Angeles wants to move back, doesn't want to be in the South, wants to be in LA. Boom, boom. That's that's hard to resist. That's hard. And I, but I then after watching him, I God, I was getting this feeling that, and this sounds weird, but he's just not a UCLA kid. I just didn't see it. I didn't see him fitting. Um, just his whole demeanor and the way he carried himself. And uh, so it's it's tough. The vetting is tough. Yeah, so and, uh, this is an important point. Don't do it. So just don't. And I'm just saying that that's not going to happen. We're know, right. But- it's not going to happen. But so I'm trying is, to find a good compromise here of of being able to eliminate most five-star and only put time into the ones that check so many boxes. I, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I understand what you're saying. But um, there is, there, you can. Like, you, you can be that secure in yourself. And I think it would match... It would match and ride much closer to Cronin's public, um, uh, his public persona. Um, you know what he says uh, fits much closer with. Yeah, we're going to eschew that stuff because it's not, it's not the kind of program I want to have. Well, um, let's do a little psychological analysis of Cronin because we tend yeah. to psychologically analyze that other head coach quite a bit. Um, a guy who has overachieved his whole life in basketball as a coach. Mm-hmm. He he's at Cincinnati. I'd hate to call up our website again, but I probably could safely say he never got a five star recruit at Cincinnati. Was Lance Stevenson a five star? No, I uh, probably a four. Anyway, 
um, toiled in the second, uh, the second tier of the second pool of talent in recruiting for years and years and years. One of the reasons you take the UCLA job is you think, oh, recruiting will get so much easier. And I'll, I'll get some high-end high talent that I can win a championship with. So now you have to think, ah, I, I got to, I, no, I can't do that. I, I can't do what I thought I'd be able to do. One of the reasons why I came to UCLA to coach. So that's, that's a big blow. <laughs> um, but I, I, and I'm telling you, I think if there's a coach who gets it and is getting it and has gotten it, most of it, it's it's Mick Cronin. I, I think going forward, you will not see him. Re- he won't swear off all five stars, but you are going to see him probably not recruit too many of them. And Dave, that's that's pretty much the best we could, I think the best we can hope for in the real world. And this recruiting class right now, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, well, but this is the thing is, what is this recruiting class? It's a whole bunch of... I, I don't even know if any of these guys are in the top 50. Um, but it's it's three dudes who are all four stars, all multi-year players. Um, you know, one of whom has got real potential to be like, you know, Mick Cronin, Poster Child, and Sebastian Mack. Um, it's, it's the foundational class that they need. But it almost didn't happen. Like, it almost... They almost ended up with a class of, like, Dusty Stromer, Andre Stoyakovich... Uh, Don't talk down Stoyakovich just yet. <laughs> well, but like my point is, like all these guys who like look Stoyakovich, yeah, he might be good. Um, kind of a, a soft shooter, um, Dusty Stromer. Like, I, just look at them. Do these look like Mick Cronin players? Um, and it's just, I don't know, man. I'll, I mean, I'll tell you where they're going to get their equivalent five-star prospects. You know where I'm going, right? Like literally where I'm going. You're going to Europe. I'm, we're going international. Right now, from what I'm hearing with the 2023 class, we've got Brandon Williams, Devin Williams, Sebastian Mack. They'll probably bring in, I mean, when it's Jalen Clark will probably safely stay, I would think, at UCLA another year. But, you know, you can never, <laughs> decisions were made on pretty bad information or whims. But, you know, let's say five or six guys they'll need. Um, I would say they have commitments from three high school guys. I would bet they get at one, if not two, international players. And what I'm hearing, they're doing really, really well with some really high-end guys. And I can't say who they are because international recruiting is complete, just a completely different ball game. It is so different, and I'm still, I'm still feeling it out uh, compared to high, just high school u.s high school recruiting there are if you throw out a name that could clue not only clue someone in another program in but they know they might know the name but now they realize ucla is hot on this guy and it can start that negative recruiting for international players is can be even so much nastier it's just it's Talking about handlers, talking about complications, all that's a mess. But the kid himself, like Abramo Senka, I think is going to, down the line, be a good player at UCLA. He has the potential to be a very good player. 
Um, that type of player, when they come from Europe, Abramo Sanka was playing for this pro team in Russia where the conditions weren't fantastic. What he grew up in was not, you know, he grew up pretty poor. He is so thankful to be here as opposed to the five-star domestic guys, four- and five-star domestic guys who think what the world owes them. Um, they generally will play harder because they're so happy to be in such a pretty place like UCLA. Um, that's where that's where they should go and where they are going with Coach uh, Simovich. Um yeah. And that's where they will find some five-star equivalent talent. Speaking of which, I dropped a little Thanksgiving turkey day nugget, a turkey nugget uh, yesterday on the forum. That I don't want to hear about the nuggets you're dropping. I <laughs> there were a lot of nuggets being dropped yesterday across this country. Um, End of this morning. I <laughs> I should find out how to actually pronounce his name. Is it Ege Demir? I'm going to go Ege. Ege. Demir. Ege Demir. Um, there's a chance that he'll come in for winter quarter, which would mean at the end of fall quarter, which would mean usually mid-December. He would kind of count. Uh, he's one of the – he'll be one of – he would count for me as one of the guys for 2023. Um. And, uh, you know, you look at his film, obviously, I haven't seen him play a person, but you look at his film and it's and it's highlights, but big, long and athletic can always help. Um, there's, uh, we not going to get into specifics about what he needs to do to qualify. I can, I've said it on the board and I will say this, it's a completely ridiculous requirement. Of what you say uh, in my time doing this, this is the most ridiculous rec- thing I've ever heard of from UCLA admissions. I would say, and I don't even ma- mainly want to say that because that will make someone go contrary. Maybe just to make a point. I'm going to go ahead and throw 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 some shade at UCLA. It is borderline xenophobic. That's what I'll say. It and not only xenophobic, but selectively so. Yeah, it's it is capricious. It is borderline xenophobic and, frankly, nonsense. There are other international students who have uh, who have satisfied this requirement. Who uh, I can safely say, in the real world, don't satisfy this requirement. Correct. Uh, they know how to game the situation, for one, and UCLA knows this. There have been stories written about it. That, this is known. This is capricious is a good word. This is absolutely just phenomenally uh, ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And if if he if Demir is not admitted, I'm I'm writing a story. Yeah, yeah. No. Because this is this is absurd. This is something that Harvard doesn't do. Correct. So, uh, Tracy, we've spent an hour talking about basketball. Sorry. We need to I touch briefly on there. Yeah, notice? we need to touch briefly on the football okay. game, the football thing that's happening today. I can touch. You still is playing Cal. I can touch football. my briefs. 
Yeah, uh, we're going to give this the, the five-minute treatment because okay. by the time most of you are listening to this, the game is happening. Uh, Cal's not good. UCLA might be hungover. That's it. That's Cal it might be kind of hyped up. Having... They might be hungover too. I mean, I don't know. You don't. You can't guess the like soft factors except to acknowledge that soft factors might play into this game. Like, you can't guess whether, oh, they're riding the high of the Stanford game and they're going to play well, or they feel like they just won the game that matters and now this is an afterthought. Whereas UCLA, do they have a sour taste in their mouth that they want to, you know, clean out? Or are they so dejected after losing their last possible opportunity at making the Pac-12 title game that they don't think this game matters? You know, you, you can't acknowledge, you can't, like, say which way it's going to go except to say soft factors may play in, which you may see a weird result because of it. Um, like it could be anywhere from UCLA winning this game 34 to seven to Cal, you know, winning by 17. Like it could be either one of those and it wouldn't be surprising. If you read Alex Mockover's advanced statistical preview, he put up, and this doesn't necessarily say much, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, the last few coaches and their records in these post-USC games. Yeah. And Chip Kelly has generally had his team prepared, uh, you'd say. Yeah, he, he, he screws their heads on straight for yeah. the most part, Yeah, um, which is great. But, man, if there is a game, you know, it's so often in <laughs> UCLA fandom history when you were contemplating whether a coach would get fired or not at the end of the season. It's, it's so very sad. Yeah. Um, if UCLA lost to Cal and ended up eight and four, you could see an. Uh, I and, uh, just to preface this, there, I don't think there's any way that Chip Kelly gets fired by UCLA this season, unless they lose to Cal and then probably still not. It would take so it would take losing to Cal and then I think there being like a real groundswell. Yeah, that's like, what it would have to take. As of now, I mean, I know everyone's talking about potential. Coaching candidates on the forum. As of right now, it's I, I hate to take away if you call that fun, and I did air quotes. But that's it's just not realistic for UCLA, and I've written about it a lot on the forum. Um why it's not realistic. But I I mean the most realistic scenario is that Chip Kelly gets a head coaching job in the NFL. And while everyone poo-poos that and says, well, he could be a coordinator, you're again looking at it from just the UCLA perspective. He's well-respected in the NFL. All it would take is one franchise who has a really good relationship with him, likes him. And as I said, the NFL is looking for offensive coordinators to be head coaches, and that's what he is. And it would come down to probably Chip Kelly's wife of whether she would sign off and say, I'll go there. Right. Um, So... That's the realistic scenario. But if they lost to Cal, damn the gr- uh, you know it would all it would all come down to the groundswell. Yep. But I, I just how what are what are the possibilities? Give me the chances that you even with the soft factors that you say loses to Cal. Yes, I'd put it at one and four. Really? Yeah. Really. Look, Cal's bad, but they're not bad in, like, the Colorado way. They lost to Colorado. Even though they did lose to Colorado. Uh, Cal's, Cal's, like, periodically, they show a pulse. Like, um, you know, they were six points away from beating USC um, on the road. They put up 49 on Arizona, which, um, if you remember, the Arizona game was 21 more points than UCLA did. Um, they, 
so here's the thing. They've got a catastrophically bad offensive line. Um, all apologies to our old friend Angus McClure, um, <laughs> who, you know, sadly was fired. Um, but their offensive line is not good. Like, the talent is not good. So it makes the rest of the offense look bad. But if you just isolate, their receivers are good. Their quarterback's fine. And they've got a really talented young running back in Jaden Ott. Like, there's weapons there. And what is UCLA's problem right now on defense, injury-wise? Well, we could go for another, oh, injury-wise. Potentially defensive tackle. Yeah, well, um, and cornerback, so, but yeah. Yeah, and cornerback, but that's been a while. But but Gary Smith and then Jay Toia both got hurt in the last game. Toia looks like he'll play, but, you know, are they going to be able to disrupt Cal the way other teams have? You know, blowing up their guards and, you know, making, making their running backs, you know, juke in the backfield. Are they going to be able to do that? And if they can't do that, Cal actually can move the ball okay because they have good skill guys. Um, and then defensively, Cal's not good. But again, it's it's not good in the upper end of not good Pac-12 defenses this year. <laughs> like it's it's they're like 80th or 90th, which was what passes for a middling defense in the Pac-12 this year. A good defense, probably the top tier, top five. <laughs> Six. I mean, so there, there, are, there are two good defenses in the Pac-12 this year. That's Oregon State and Washington State. UCLA didn't see either of them this year. Isn't it funny how Oregon State, I mean, quarterback issues. Best coach team in the Pac-12. Wow. No question and for, I mean, this year, yes. And probably for, he would maybe get that accommodation for the, as long as he's been there. Getting the most out of his talent. Absolutely. So, what I would say is Jonathan Smith, by the way. There's absolutely a possibility that UCLA can lose this game. What would be the UCLA thing to happen? I, I have it in my mind and I know what it is, and I want to see if we are sending out vibes. The 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 most UCLA thing to happen is a really, really low scoring um and very, very, very uninspiring win. Uh in overtime. Yeah. UCLA wins. Like 17, 14, 21, 17. Or, or let's like just that. say even 30 something. Let's just give it that there's a little bit of scoring. Sure. But they win and they barely beat Cal on like a last minute. That would be the most UCLA uh, thing to happen. field goal. Like a, a nine and three season that feels absolutely purgatorial. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave you with that. That sounds great. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not nice. It isn't. I mean, the basketball team, let's go back to the basketball team. There's a lot to live for there, guys. There's a lot of upside. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to talk someone off, of, literally off a ledge after how we just left them. We should have started with football, Dave. Yeah. That was a mistake. Yeah. That was our mistake. Anyway. It was our mistake. But what it's do? still fun to be a Bruin right now. You got two teams that are ranked. I mean, just a couple of years ago. Both teams were just so far away from looking at a ranking. Yeah, both top 25. Was that a good save? I loved it. Thank you. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. Happy holidays. Gobble, gobble. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.